Here we are then, folks, back in episode 16 of the Silly Goose Gang podcast, and we're joined tonight by Damien Maya Black Belt, Mark Turner. Mark, thanks very much for coming on, mate. Oh, no problem. So that's me part of the gang, then? That's you. You're a goose. Very good. You're a silly goose now. <laughs> Very good. Uh, it's, uh, I tell you, I don't know, I don't know how the weather is in uh, Chicago. It's not, is it Chicago? Is, is it actually Chicago yeah. you're in, Mark? Is it? I am. I'm, I'm just, outside, just outside of Chicago. It's about uh, 81 degrees here today, a wee bit rainy, but it's been... It's been in the nineties. This is obviously Fahrenheit. I'm talking, eh? Um, so it's mm. been quite warm, like. I don't know what I don't know what isn't. I don't because we never use Fahrenheit, day, but it's, it's red hot. Red. I'll be hot. Uh, red hot today. Red right. hot today. Oh, I'm burnt. So, but um, aye. So I mean, 20, 27, 28 The new here. A couple of degrees hotter than us. Fuck's sake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, aye. So. Have to, I have to start, I have to dive right in, Mark, and say, how the fuck does somebody from Blingery end up training in Chicago? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, uh, I moved to Chicago with my mother's job when, when I was a lot younger, and um, went to school here, and I spent half of my year basically here in Chicago, and then my mum, whenever we had school holidays or a break or anything like that, she'd punt us on a plane back to Scotland. We've got a big family uh, in Scotland and Blingery there, so she wanted us to be around the family and all that. So uh, we always got back. And then in high school here, I started wrestling. And in Illinois, the state that I live in, uh, where Chicago is obviously, is a big uh, state for wrestling. So I started started wrestling, was doing quite well there, and met a guy, now this is back in 1996, uh, 1997, uh, I'd met a guy that had been training jiu-jitsu for six months or eight months or something right now, this is six months, a uh, 1997 jiu-jitsu, so <laughs> very, very and, and he said to me, he goes, oh, hey, do you want to roll a wee bit in that, and he goes, I train jiu-jitsu, and I said, I'm thinking it's like karate, eh? so I says, Right, I need bother. I says, I'm obviously going to take this boy down and just smash him. And that's what happened. I took him down and smashed him. But then he started the triangles and the arm bars and all this. And I'm going, what in the world is going on here? And and as I said, I was doing quite well in wrestling. And, and I just sort of said, look, if I, if I did bathe here, if I really try and focus on wrestling and this jiu-jitsu thing, I'm probably not going to be really good at either one. So I just chose, I, I quit wrestling and chose jiu-jitsu and I mean I remember we were we'd stay up all night training just on the carpet eh and we would take breaks and watch like UFC 1 UFC 2 sort of thing with Hoist Gracie and then just get right back to training and because there wasn't any gym there were only maybe two gyms in all Chicago at the time um, and I mean that was back in the days where if you were a blue belt you were a god I mean you didn't see a blue belt we had a boy that went to Hicks and Grace's Academy to get graded and he was a white belt and he came back with one stripe on his white belt and when he came back that, that stripe had a halo around it eh? um, <laughs> and that was it and so I just started training and then I'd moved to California and I was training in California and then yeah, I was in the military here so when I'd got back to Chicago I was sort of training didn't really have a home I was bouncing at a couple of different uh, academies just just to train and try and find somewhere 
And at that time, I had met Damien, and we sort of we became pals, and then we trained together, sort of off and on, really, just sort of rare that we were training, but we became good pals. And then at the time, I was training on this team, and it just wasn't a good atmosphere for training. Everybody sort of was always at each other's throats, and everybody was trying to kill everybody and that sort of thing. It just wasn't. A, and I was, at that point, I was training twice a day, five six days a week. So it was all it was a long time to be a long time during the day to be spending at a place that just didn't have a good atmosphere eh? uh, and then Damien was ah, it was just sort of, eh, Ken just like, oh this boy's fighting with this boy and I would always talk to Damien about that sort of stuff and then at one point he just said well look we're pals just come be with me and I'll be your coach and, and at the time it was right at the beginning when I mean this was before the UFC before he had won Abu Dhabi before he had even won the Pan Americans and uh he says, look, I'm going to be coming to America a lot, so I'll just come and I'll stay with you and we can train and then can bounce back and forth and all that sort of stuff. And then, uh, so I was a blue belt at the time and got the purple, the brown and the black belt for Damien. I got my black belt in 2012 doing in Sao Paulo at Damien's Academy. So it was, and I was the first, the first non-Brazilian that he gave a black belt to. Boy for Blangere, eh? That. Yeah, so yeah. what 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 year did you meet um Damien? This was uh, two thousand five. Two thousand five. So a boy from Brazil, no, a boy from Brazil, and a boy from. I mean, did he understand you? I well, he could speak. Uh, he could speak English. Um, see, Damien has like a journalism background. So he's always sort of had, he's always had a look to want to become like get into journalism. So he started to learn English really early on. So he he could speak English, and then it's funny. I mean, I speak a decent amount of Portuguese now, just because at the time it was me hanging out with all these Brazilian guys, and <laughs> we were sleeping, we would travel and go to championships and go to different fights and that. And I mean, you'd be six or seven, eight boys in a room, me sleeping on. Underneath the hotel desk, somebody sleeping in the in the bath, and can somebody sleeping in the, in the bathroom flare and all that, and it was all Brazilian boys, and I didn't understand a lucky what anybody was saying, eh? And I just sort of got sicky, saying to the couple of boys that did speak English, "Hey, what are you saying?" What are you? And so then I just started to learn myself, and then they would help me. Damien would send boys for Brazil up to my academy here in Chicago. That I mean, one boy came, didn't under. Oh, there was two things he could say. He could say hello. And he could say, would you like more grapes? <laughs> and, when, and when he landed here, and so when he landed here, they were the only two things he could say. But through that, obviously, Damien's thing was, look, I'll send you these boys. They'll help the academy. They'll help train with you there, and you, you can help them. And you'll help them learn English, and they'll help you. And and it just – so we did that a lot. Eh? And then uh, – I mean, I became very, very close to Damien's coach, Wagner Mota, who's at my house all the time. We basically, I mean, he's got a bedroom in our house. My daughter says, oh, that's Waggy Nile's room. Um, so, I mean, he he was here a lot, uh, and he's a okay, big pal of mine now and everyone as well. And so he was learning English. I was learning uh, Portuguese through him. But jiu-jitsu uh, has its own language, eh? I mean, you didn't have to speak. Yeah. Uh, English or Portuguese or whatever language it is to get to get the message of jiu-jitsu across. So, um, I it's just mental though. I mean, I mean, you guys 
is obviously Ken Blingery. It's it's a very different world than the world I live in now. So, um, and I mean, I never never forget that obviously, and I always get back. I mean, I get to the point where I have to come back to Scotland, and and can I just tell my wife? I say, look, I've I've usually once or twice a year I get back now, and I, I just get to the point. I tell my wife, right, I'm away, I'm away home for for a week or two, and everybody back there's been very gracious enough to want me to come when I do come back to Scotland, come and train with them and show them kind of some of my game and my jiu-jitsu, which is it's crazy for me to be able to come back to Scotland and teach jiu-jitsu and train and, and all that. And when I left Scotland, there was zero jiu-jitsu in Scotland when I left. I left in 1992, yeah. so there was zero jiu-jitsu in Nothing. Scotland. No. No. I don't actually well, know I'm when really the first... Um... Sorry, Ali. No, no, I was, I was just going to say, I don't know when the first jiu-jitsu school would open in Scotland. I know a lot of guys, Jamie Henderson and stuff, I know you've done a seminar there, Mark. I think he's been, sorry, within the last 10 years, he's opened his school. Our, our professor, Dan Reed, was he started about 2008. So I don't know when, like Rick Young, probably, but I don't know when he opened his academy. I, I think Rick was for, but Rick was doing a lot of like traditional martial arts and all that as well. Eh? I see. I don't know Rick really well. I know obviously Jamie. I know a lot of people that that know Rick mm. and, and speak really highly of him. But I've never met him. I've never trained with him or anything. Every time I get back, um, it's sort of on the list of things to get done. But I just never, I just never get a chance because when I'm back, I'm either training or. I mean, last time I was home, it was with Damien. We took Damien to Scotland, uh, and she went. I, think, I believe he's went. And, um, he's went down and sparred. Uh, he done some rolling with, with Stevie Ray. Oh, I, 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 Stevie, I've kent for a long time. Um, I love Stevie. Stevie's, uh, he's some boy. He's fantastic, and I mean, what he's doing and what he's been able to do, it's, it's so, so good for Scottish MMA and Scottish oh. jiu-jitsu. He's really, really good for it. Paul as well. I, mean, I, I love Paul. I met Paul at the UFC and, and Brian and they guys doing there. I met them at the UFC with Damien. Him and Damien fought on the same card. And that that was a chance thing because um, I'd heard of Paul, obviously, uh, but never met him because when I day go home, I'm usually in Fife, right? And I'm, and I'm training there and all that. And Paul's obviously, they guys are far away. So um, doing Motherwell way and all that, and um, we met at the UFC, and afterwards we were at the hotel having a drink and that, and and uh, just got on really good with the guys, obviously. And Paul said to me and Damon, he goes, "Hey, would you be interested in coming and and doing a seminar at mine?" And I says, "Ah, you can, we'll sort it out." But you can what it's like, you're out, you've had a good night, you're Ken, you've you had a few whiskeys and that, and thinking, ah, he might just be saying it, eh, hey, well, I mean, me and Damien, we're up for always going anywhere. We, hey, if you want to train with us, come train with us, or we'll come train with you. So uh, Paul says, aye, come on, let's do it then. This was a week or two after we got back for the UFC, and then we set it up and went air there, and it was crazy. I was only in Scotland for two days or something, and Damien was in Russia and met us in Scotland for Russia. It was it was a crazy two days, but we got a lot in. We got training with Steve and got training with... Uh, with Paul and the guys doing there and Paul's fantastic as well eh, for, for Scotland and for MMA mm. in Scotland mm. So it'd be cool if um, it'd be cool if Damien comes over again and take him and show him show him some of the sights in Scotland would be quite cool Well here's what happened eh, is that Damien's really big into history and all that sort of shit eh? so we 
and, and he loves nature. He's really big into nature. And I say, he goes, look, I can go. Tell Paul I can go, but I can only go for like two days or that. I says, Damien, I says, you're going to need longer than two days. If we're going to Scotland, you... And Damien stayed in Blingery. We didn't get a hotel. We didn't go... <laughs> he, stayed my... yeah, he, he stayed at my auntie's house right at the bottom of Benetti Hill. Yeah. And I told him, I says, look, if you come to Scotland, we're no staying in Edinburgh. We're no staying... We're, we're no... Okay. We're staying him. And he says, I need bother, no bother. So when he got there, a bit of a culture shock. But then we went, we took him about in that, and he goes, again, I remember that first night we were going to bed and that, he goes, hey, we need to plan a second trip and we need to stay at least a week. So uh, back in the autumn time this year, but then this whole thing started with quarantines and that. We'll we'll have to plan for it, definitely. what's, um, What's hilarious is, there will be somebody in Blingery who probably seen you know, Damien and, and Kenny went, did, did I just see? Why the <laughs> fuck would Damien Maya be in Blingery? That's stupid. And probably never thought about it. But probably, somebody probably seen him and went, I, know, I think I've seen him. <laughs> no, I was getting uh, I was getting messages from people that didn't train jiu-jitsu and that and were saying, no, look, uh, can, can you bring Damien down about half nine and I'll get the bairns up in that and get the breakfast and then he can see the bairns in there and I'm going, what is happening here? No, you know what I mean? Too <laughs> much. Uh, I get, that gets a bit... I know, um, so uh, it was our friend Ramsey who can he set us up and message you. So when I was speaking to Ramsey last year, he said that Damien was going to be coming across for you. And he was like, you imagine if, you imagine if Damien and Mark are go, go for a fight in Blingery someplace. Just a little like this thought. If we had time, we would have been doing it at the Institute. Eh? We would have been. That's the thing, Damien's like that. He's no, I mean, Damien will stop. And so uh, when Damien started in the UFC, we, uh, we spent a lot of time training with Vanderlei Silva, right? And we would go mm. to Las Vegas and we would train there a lot and obviously spent a lot of time with Vanderlei. Vanderlei would travel with us to go to the different UFCs and that. And you can't go anywhere with Vanderlei Silva, right? I mean, it's crazy. The amount of people that come up and talk to him. And just if you go for Starbucks or something, you're in Starbucks for an hour because mm. he takes the time and he stops and he talks to everybody and, and doesn't take a photo and all this, but he chats with people. And Damien said, Ken, I'm always going to be like that because it's the fans that are, the fans are what mm. make this MMA thing happen. Eh? So, mm. so Damien's like that as well. I mean, he would sit in the chute and <laughs> a couple of pints and talk to other locals. Eh? I mean, he definitely <laughs> would do that. Ken, and he's, he's never said to me when we've said, hey, let's go do this, Damien, whether we're in LA, wherever we are. He's never said no because I didn't want, Ken, I didn't want to be bothered. He, he's, he's never said that. So we'll definitely, yeah, when we get back to Scotland, we'll be in some of the local haunts. What's, um, what, what, we've, what we've found uh, just doing this this podcast just for fun uh, during lockdown is we've had some really cool guys on and, and fighters, guys who do, yeah, I mean, it's mostly jiu-jitsu guys, some of the guys, they're so down to earth. I mean, there's no way, and there's no, there's no way in any other like walk of life. Someday, even in your position, Mark, who's who's you know black belt, um, you know a highly respected black belt. So there's no way you'd get a highly respected uh, scientist to come and talk to us. Because no. why would he? So and and, and jiu jitsu and 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 fighting, 
people are cool, like super cool, way cooler than they should be. I always say this like um jujitsu. I was talking to somebody about this the other day actually. Jiu-jitsu is the one sport where you can actually practice and spend time with the top level guys. Like if you you're never gonna get to a shoot around with LeBron James. You you could love yeah. LeBron James. You know, I mean, you, you couldn't even. Hey, I'll pay money. It's just not something that you that, that you can get today. Hey, Tom yeah, Brady. Yeah. When are you ever going to get to just go and chuck the ball about with Tom Brady or or kick the ball about with Ronaldo or something like that? You just that's no something that that happens. But I mean, I've been in jujitsu rooms when I was a purple belt, and some of the top stars in the world are on the mat and I'm going, what business do I have being on the mat with these boys? Mm-hmm. This sort of thing, yeah. So jiu-jitsu is brilliant for that. MMA as well. I remember um, a while ago, um, I think it was just before I started jiu-jitsu and I was down at the boxing club and Stephen A came in in Kirkcaldy's. We were down at the Kingdom Boxing Club and Stephen A came in and I was like, holy shit, Stephen A. But everybody knew him. Because yeah. I'm not from Kirkcaldy. I'm from uh, Ken Ross originally at Carden then now, but so Stevie, they walked in, and everybody knows Stevie Ficarconi. And everybody's yeah. just like, all right, Stevie. And, but to me, I was like, holy fuck, Stevie. So Mike, the uh, national, he was a national coach that runs the club, said, go and get Stevie some pad work. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> I took Stevie in the pads. Sound, sounds a pound. Such a nice, such oh, a nice guy. So that's what's, I mean, that, that, like you're saying, that would never happen. A singer, an actor. Fuck, why would they ever talk to common people like us? It's... Um, <laughs> it's a really, really, really cool yeah. thing about it. So, um, I want to just double back, Mark. You'd said that you had the boys come up from like Sao Paulo from Damien to train with you up in, in Illinois, and you said you were teaching them English. Please, please tell me that means there's like a little enclave in Sao Paulo that drops like Neeps, Neboa, Ake. <laughs> like, well, I, uh, well I, I don't know if you can them or no, but Manga, Marcelo Manga, he. I've he, heard the name, he, I. Came and he trained. So I was training a lot and was going to see the Clarks uh, a lot. And at the time, they wanted somebody to come and teach at their academy. And they had asked me if I would go there for six months and teach at their academy. This was, oh, I'd have to think, maybe 2010, two, no, 2012, something like that. And, okay. uh, and I says, no, I can't. Obviously, I mean, I'm here and, and I've got Ken, my family, and all that. I says, but I'll find you somebody. And so I said to Damien, I says, look, the boys in Scotland are looking for somebody to come and teach at their academy. I says, let me Ken who, and we can send them there. There, eh? and he had said Manga would be interested in going. And uh, I had kept Manga really well. Manga had spent a lot of time at my academy and stayed with us a lot and all that sort of stuff and helped out. The, the, and he's a fantastic teacher. He's a really strange guy, but he's amazing. And uh, so he jumped on it and he went and he stayed there. Um, I think he stayed for six or eight months or something out there in Scotland and taught at the Clarks Academy there. And uh, I think it was when they had the Team Unity gym, uh, mm. the industrial estate. And uh, I so and they, they were teaching them all the shite. Eh? They were teaching them all the swear words first and all this. And then uh, Ken and Manga would phone me, can't they? Like, oh, look what I've learned, sort of thing. I'd be going, oh yeah. <laughs> so and he's, he's a, Manga's a cartoon anyway. Yeah, he's just one of the people that's just a cartoony person. He's brilliant. And uh, I says, oh no, these boys are going to hear him. Uh, 
up to no good, like learn, learning goodness knows what for, for them. But I, <laughs> manga, manga does send a lot of the words we use and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Uh, man, that's funny. Some some boy some boy in Brazil just fucking con somebody. He can't he can't swear at the Brazilian because I know what he say, but you can call him a ball bag. Right. <laughs> I have no idea what he's talking about. That's <laughs> funny. That's funny. Uh, so aye, so I did it. I mean, did it? I, we know because we've I, I had to phone somebody on. Uh, Tuesday, Tuesday, I had to phone somebody and cancel a flight. I was actually meant to be going to uh, a Globetrotters camp in Iceland. So I've had to phone and cancel my hotel. And I was on the phone to an American. And see, just try to speak to an American. And they just, uh, all you get is, sir, I don't understand. And you're going, fucking listen to me. I, <laughs> you never, I mean, I'm, you that <laughs> it's, like that, it's like the doing uh, skit with the lift, eh? Um, <laughs> but, see, I mean, I'm, I've stayed here long enough, I can't how to speak sort of slow enough for them and all that. Uh, but I, I mean, it's, it's a, it's, I, I didn't notice it so much with the people that I'm around all the time, like the people at my work or my family or, or the academy or that, they sort of understand. It's when you just run into a random person. Americans here typically are um, quite ignorant when it comes to foreigners and I, and I'm, I don't, I mean ignorant in the proper use of the term where they just, they're almost taken aback with somebody that speaks differently than them. Mm. And, and they almost are, they're almost waiting for you to, to speak to them the way that they need you to speak to them. They're not trying to meet you in the middle, if you know what I mean. Mm. Aye. Aye. I think um, one of the things that's it's hard being Scottish as well is, I think because people don't understand us quickly, and we've got a tendency to sound aggressive. I I've, I've always found if you sound aggressive, sometimes you go for fuck's sake, people can go oh, fuck you. Well, I've noticed. I've noticed that obviously with my wife. My wife is American, and I mean a lot of stuff I say, and I'm a quite a passionate person. I'm quite animated and very opinionated, and so if 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 we're in a discussion about stuff it can sound really aggressive the other thing i get a lot is and i've had this since i was younger as well is when people see me speak to my mum so my mum lives here in chicago eh? and if i'm speaking to my mum people then it came what we're saying they're thinking like oh yeah cookie he's fighting with his more like something's going on here eh? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not that at all but it's just funny yeah it's just funny uh, uh, it comes across that i had that today i had that today at work i work as uh trainer for a nationwide building society so i train people even just across the uk and i was right. on a course today training folk and they'd asked me what i'd had for my lunch and i had some leftover butter chicken kind of like a curry right. and they were like weren't chicken and i was like no butter chicken and they were like <laughs> no just butter chicken yeah. and they were like, yeah, oh. I, had, um, I remember once uh, it's a pronunciation thing and i remember once I'd, I'd ordered something from a company in england and the woman's, it was a, it was a woman. No, sorry, it was a guy called Carol. But right. I didn't realise this until the time. So I'm saying, no, no, I spoke to, I spoke to, I spoke to Carol. There's, no, there's nobody here called Carol. No, 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 not Carol. I'm, I'm Carol. And they're going, you said the same thing. I'm saying, no, no, not fucking, Car <laughs> fucking Carol. And they're going, oh, do you mean, do you mean Carl? I said, aye, Carol. <laughs> fucking just. Cannot say once properly, it's hilarious. Ah, you get angry, you get angry, and then you go, calm down. You go, fucking hell. 
<laughs> well, that was like, so I've got a, a three-year-old daughter, eh? And when we were coming up with, we, so we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl, we didn't find out. So we're coming up with boys' names, lassies' names. And I says, look, we're not, we can, that name's got to get off the list because I can't say that name the way that you say that name. And I'm not going to say it the way that you say that name. And I'm not going to be crying my way in whatever stupid pronunciation you've got for that name for the rest of my days. So not off the <laughs> That one's no getting. The problems have been the problems have been Scottish, yeah. Uh, uh, maybe good, at, maybe we're good at everything else, but we can't speak properly. Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So, how long did you how long did you wrestle for then, Mark? Before you got into the the jujitsu, was it just high school or? Uh, well, I wrestled um, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and then freshman, sophomore year of high school. So. Um, and I was doing quite well uh, when I when I got to high school. See, here in Illinois, your uh, like your junior wrestling teams are basically just feeders for the big teams in high school. Mm-hmm. So if you start wrestling when you're young here, so sixth grade is about eleven year old. Mm-hmm. Uh, you start training when you're eleven year old. Uh, by the time you're in high school, they're the purpose of these junior teams is to get you ready. So I, I was already wrestling like on varsity and uh, as a freshman, which typically people will not wrestle varsity till they're a junior or senior in high school. Eh? Mm. Definitely, yeah. That's still, that's still a fair amount of wrestling, though. Aye, aye. But okay, what right. funny is, um, <laughs> I actually, I mean, I'm a, I play half guard. Obviously, everybody knows I play half guard. Um, I, I pull to the half guard all the time, and and I, I will wrestle up like I'll wrestle like half a half guard is just a single leg on the ground right so uh I, I'll wrestle up and take single legs and, and basically get sweeps for there right um but it's funny I always pull to the half guard people think I but you've got a wee bit of a wrestling background you think you'd use that mayor but when I started jujitsu see when I started jujitsu it was basically closed guard it was all all it was was hoist gracie style closed guard and lie on your back and look for triangles and arm bars was basically jujitsu at that time, eh? And in, mm-hmm. in the, the mid nineties, nine or in later nineties, uh, I mean, there wasn't even. I remember the half guard wasn't even a position. I always talk about this in my seminars, and that it wasn't even a thing. It was basically the half mount. If I was, if me and you were fighting, and I went for your full geared into your half geared, your coach would be telling you, "Oh, escape your hips, put them back in the geared." It wasn't a. The, the half guard at that time wasn't an active place to fight from. It was, and jiu-jitsu was mainly, if you're on top, you're passing, which is obviously the same today, but if you're on your back, it's full guard, and, and that was basically it at the time. Interesting. It seems, it seems that now you're looking back, it seems a bit like, why would you only have, it just seems bizarre that that's the way you would do it. Like, obviously, that's what it was at the time, because nobody had come up with anything else, but... But the big the big benefit was you could fight off your back with jiu-jitsu where mm-hmm. in wrestling it's finished judo it's finished uh, if you're on your back where the big allure and the big difference in, in jiu-jitsu was if you're on your back it was almost advantageous to be in the guard than than it was to be on top because passing at the same time wasn't very dynamic it was basically not even like a, a proper knee slice it was basically you know step the outside leg over to pass. I mean, it wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of very 
dynamic passing like we see today and all that sort of stuff. So it was it was pretty basic jujitsu, but the big thing was you. Could, so I got very used to being in the guard, and then when I started training with Damien as a late blue belt, you know he's obviously a big half guard player. Um, he just told me start playing some half guard and I said, all right, well, you're pretty good. I'm just going to copy you and try and make myself a mini you. And I mean, that was always, it's always crazy to me. I mean, why would I be Damien Maya's student and play spider guard? Not that there's anything wrong with spider guard, but if you've got a guy like that there, why not try and copy mm. some of his game? Because if I went mm. to Damien and said, hey, Damien, I'm playing spider gear. What should I do here? Or I've got this problem there. He's going to say, well, I can help you, but it's not really my thing. He's just going to sort of mm. look at it outside looking in, where if, if I was playing half guard or, or the way that we pass, we pass very similar as well. Um, I can go to him directly and it's asking, I can ask him, it's his thing as well. So it's, it's much easier. It was much easier for me to get to a higher level that way than if I tried to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, I've common language as well isn't it like you were saying even if you couldn't speak English Portuguese whatever at the time you could still talk positions and oh, you, could, you could understand what you were talking about from a even like a kinesthetic you know or a, a moving body kind of way uh -huh. and I think the more the more that he you'd have to ask him but at least and I've never asked him this but the the more he saw me being attracted to his game and his style the more he wanted to teach me and bring me along because it was like oh he's really trying to to almost copy me and to try and have the same similar type game i mean my half guard game's a wee bit different than damien's now um and we sort of pass some things back and forth when we're training uh and if it works for him he'll use it if, if it works for me i use it but um at the time it was like no this guy's good at this game i'm gonna just plug into that and and the more he saw that the more energy he put into me i think so do you um do, are you sort of a believer mark in having like one specialty and then just being strong everywhere else um so there's a lot to that question i think once you get to a very high level i think yes but i think as you're coming through the belts blue belt purple belt you know, at least until you get to you're a solid brown belt, I think you should be exploring. And mm -hmm. and then once you get the black belt, that's almost the time where you start solidifying what what it is you're going to be in your style. I mean, put it this way. I competed in 2018. I competed 41 times, right? 41 weeks, 52 weeks of the year. I was traveling and competing all in the IBJJF. And there's a, there was so there's a lot of people like me in the IBJJF that compete every week and travel to different cities and and you see the same people. Everybody in my divisions, all the referees, all the, the ring coordinators, when you when you see me, you know what you're getting. You know you're getting half you know I'm gonna to pull to the half guard and you know I'm gonna be looking for an underhook. And if I can't get the underhook, I'm you know my game. A lot of people, especially say blue belts, if you two are in the academy, you might say, oh, I'm not going to go for that because Ali's definitely going to, he knows that I like that grip or he knows that I like this position. So you, you start trying to make stuff up in the middle of that role or in competition, in the middle of a match, that's not normally what you do. So yeah. my opinion is, why in the world would you do that? My goal is I go to my academy every single day 
and I work on something enough to where I can tell you, right, I'm going to do this. You know, so here you go. Here's what I'm going to do. You've you've to figure it out. You've to stop it. And mm. that that way I can control everything that I do. And then if I run into a problem on Saturday in, in Texas at a competition and I was having trouble finishing that sweep or, I, again, the boy was, all, he was causing me problems because he was trying to pass or I couldn't get the grip I wanted, then I can come back on Monday and work on that tiny wee detail all week long and fix that problem. Where if I'm just gone and I'm trying to, Ken, like a shotgun, I'm trying to figure it out and for a very wide spray, how am I ever going to quantify fixing things and, and adjusting things mm. when I'm just being random? So, but but as as an as a jujitsu player with less experience, you've got to explore. You've got to find what you like to do. Uh, and you don't know what you your, like. To do. You have to find find your, find, find your game essentially. Exactly, you find it, but then once you find it. That's it. It's like anybody else. Say Jordan, Michael Jordan. You knew what his game was. It was that turnaround fadeaway jump shot. Nobody could stop it. Everybody in the gym before before anybody even went to the stadium the night they knew that that was Jordan's move. But nobody mm-hmm. can stop it. And so mm-hmm. it's just like that as well. I mean, all the top stars that you know that you watch, they've all got their game. Very rarely do you find somebody at that level who's just sort of winging it and no really doesn't have a plan and is just sort of all right the day I'll try this and then if I have another another match next week I'll be completely different. You never really see that at a high level. Uh, uh, support that uh, makes sense. I mean, if it's if it's tried and tested and that's what you're good at, what you're saying, why would you try and deviate from that path? No, when you're working as a blue belt. I wouldn't be trying to pigeonhole myself into one game. Like, say you like, I mean, what guard do you play? Do you like? I, I, I'm interestingly, I had started well, so before lockdown. So I, I competed in November, and then uh, from November, um, I had just started playing with things, just ideas. Ali would tell you, and I just kind of thinking about things, yeah. going, I wonder if this will work. So it's kind of not caring about getting submitted or anything, and just going playing with some ideas that I was thinking about in my head. So I had started playing more with, with uh, a kind of half guard um, and just trying to figure out things because I just find it a strong position and I'm very difficult to pass from that position. So I had started playing half guard quite a lot um, and just trying to figure out. And I wasn't really getting anywhere. But I was just, just trying to work it. It was very hard to pass and stuff. So that's kind of where I'd gotten to. Um, I was just playing my ideas. And so my advice to that is keep playing with that, keep exploring that, keep trying different things for there, but then you just pigeonhole yourself there as a blue belt sort of thing. Yeah. And, but take notice of it, train with it, and then you'll see it. Just It'll develop uh, as you go. The problem I see a lot is, and uh, like for instance, I know a lot of the guys at Atos, right? In San Diego, a lot of them have come, trained at my academy, they've stayed at my house, I travel on the road with the Atos guys, I'm friendly with a lot of them, and and so I travel with them. A lot of their young guys, they're very pigeonholed, blue belts, purple belts, on certain techniques, whether it's a berimbolo or whether it's whatever, right? Whatever technique you think it is. And outside of that, if you can take them outside of that game, they're finished. Mm. As a blue belt, that shouldn't be... The case, it, the the thing here is, as a blue belt, if you get t- if you're that stuck on one game and somebody takes it out on you, you've not got the experience to be able to get that back. 
you're a black, a black belt well just based on experience and and we'll have a plan b and when i say plan b it doesn't mean oh that didn't work i'm going to my plan b plan b is distant right it's very distant i i'm able to plan a and if you take me out of plan a a wee bit the rest of my game revolves around getting back to plan a very rarely am I looking to go plan B. I'd rather die on the hill that I'm standing on sort of thing. Mm. But as a blue belt, you just don't have the experience to, to play that game. So, uh, you know, if you're a blue belt, let's say you're, you're trying half guard and you're at the championship and it's no going your way, well, you should have a really solid plan. What's that other thing I do in the academy all the time that works for you? Well, let me just switch to that because I'm a blue belt. Even if it's a world championship at a blue belt, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I, I, I've won big tournaments as a black belt. I've won big tournaments as a blue belt. At the time I won them as a blue belt, I thought, oh, this is fantastic. Now I didn't even think about it because I was a blue belt. Who cares? Eh? I mean, mm. what, what? when you're a black belt, what's the point of being the blue belt world champion? Yeah. No, it's, it's quite, it's, it's actually funny because it ties into kind of the original idea that me and Alec, well, when we're talking about doing this and talking to people, what we're saying was, Nobody gives a fuck of what a blue belt thinks about jiu-jitsu. <laughs> like we we realise ourselves. So we're talking to you and you go, well, cool. blue belt, who cares what a blue belt thinks? Really? So no, I'm, you, not, I'm not saying who cares what a blue belt thinks. I'm saying that, for instance, I could sit and tell you everything I want as a blue belt right now on this podcast and neither one of the three of us are going to care about what I did as a blue belt. Right? No, but, at the time, but at the time, I needed to do these things, and these things were valuable to me, and they helped my progression. But the context of the things that I did as a blue belt was that helped get me to black belt. Yeah. I, I, didn't, I mean, I quit when I was a blue belt, then good. Maybe I could talk about the things at barbecue yeah. and whatever else. But the new, I think, as a blue belt, as a purple belt, obviously as a white belt, Everything you do at the, at the belt levels is just to help you develop. And and uh, you're going to run into big struggles and get frustrated and you're going to run into big wins and you're going to celebrate them. But you just have to keep the perspective of, oh, this is just development. It's just yeah. getting me there. Eh? What, what, um, what, I was, what I was meaning more in terms of is like me and Ali, if me and Ali get somebody on to speak to under a blue belt, Nobody cares what blue belts are sitting talking to each other about. You know what I mean? It's because a blue belt's just fucking. You know what I mean? No one did any any, well, any, illusion, any fancy illusions or anything. Here's the thing. I, I I actually so I'm a coach as well. I've got a competition team that I coach. I've got our academy is about 150 people. Um, the competition team really strong. Does really well. And I I, I actually sit. I've got blue belts that compete at. at big championships and that win and do well and lose and all this. So I actually sit and I watch blue belt matches because mm. now do I enjoy watching blue belt matches? To be honest, no, really, but I have to watch blue belt matches because if I'm coaching them in the academy, I have to know what blue belts out there the new are doing. The blue belt's not going to take a collar grip the same way I take a collar grip. They're not going to grip your your pant leg the same way I do when, when, when I grab your trousers. So I need to see what's happening and I need to hear how a blue belt thinks and, and mm. understand how a, I've not been a blue belt for a long time. And I, I mean, I, I could easily say, ah, I don't care what a blue belt thinks of jiu-jitsu, but to me, that doesn't help the blue belts on my team. I need to know how they think, how their opponents think and the tendencies that their opponents are going to have. That's an interesting, no, that makes sense. That's, that makes sense. An, that's an interesting perspective, that, actually. 
Yeah, it makes sense from a coaching. I come from a coaching background, and it does make sense that you want to see what, the, for want of a better word, what the trends are in your division or your age group or whatever it might be. Do you know what I mean? And there's nothing worse than rolling up. Again, I've not coached in jiu-jitsu, but I've coached in other sports. Um, like we used, to, I used to coach and play American football, for example. Right. And there was one team used to run a completely different offense to every other team in the league. And the first season they they unleashed that, they won the championship. Oh. Because yeah. everyone went, what the fuck is this? How, how do we stop this? And by the time we worked out how to stop it, they'd already ran the league. Aye. The second season, when we'd had a season and a half to prepare for it, then we were all over it and it kind of levelled out a bit. So it does make sense what you're saying, that you have to you have to look at the competition and understand what they're doing to, mm-hmm. uh, to work against that or develop a game plan or whatever you want to say in, in terms of that respect. Mm. That's a, an interesting perspective. That just saying it's interesting. Yeah, it's quite interesting to hear a, a black belt saying that, because um, we in our head nobody cares what we think about jiu-jitsu. Oh, other blue belts care about what we think about jiu-jitsu, but nobody else really. Nobody goes. Oh, that blue belt's got some great ideas. It's just kind of yeah. But it's interesting to hear you saying. It's interesting well, to hear what. Here's another real life story, right? Um, we were training at my academy, and uh, Damien's coach was at the academy for a couple of weeks. Wagner Mota. And one day we were training, um, say like a bow, like bow and arrow, right? Mm-hmm. Bow and arrow stroke for the back. And uh, Wagner says, "Hey, watch this! I've I've got a really good defence for the bow and arrow choke." Okay? And uh, so he, he did this defence, and it's something I'd never seen before, right? And I was like, "Oh, yeah, cookie, that's brilliant!" And it basically it's impossible to get choked for the bow and arrow if you do this. It's not an escape, but it stops the choke, right? Like, and I didn't care who's doing the choke; it stops the choke. And uh, New Year's want to come what that was, eh? What that is. <laughs> right. um, uh, so he's doing this, and I says, Oh, Baggy, now that's brilliant. How can who came up with that, eh? Thinking he's going to tell me one of the black belts. Damien's got like 20 old black belts in his academy, eh? So uh, probably more than that now. But uh, I'm thinking he's going to tell me. He says, Oh, a blue belt. A blue belt showed me that. Right? Now, it's the best. It's, it's incredible. And, and I says, A blue belt. And I'm thinking about it. I says, well, that makes sense. Who's getting choked by Bonaris a lot? And an academy like Damien's, the blue belts. So this boy, through trial and error, trying to sort out, look, look I'm just sick of getting Bonari choked here, find a way to create this thing to stop it so that, because here's the difference between you and me, right? I need very little time to react. I, I, I process jujitsu faster than you. That's it. Right, mm. it's not about me kenning any mystical secrets or mystical techniques. My processor just works faster. I can make decisions faster and better than you can. So this this boy getting submitted all the time had plenty of time to realize. Look, I just need. I can't escape. I can't process fast enough to escape this bonari choke. Once these guys get me to where I'm dead to rights. So what can I do to create some time for myself? so that I can f- maybe figure it out. And he developed this way, he grabbing his own lapel, uh, under his own hand. Like, so for instance, if I'll show you, I could go get a gi top and show you, but I'll try and show you the new. So say, say you're bow and arrow choking me across this way, right? He would take this lapel and he would take it under his own leg. So the, the lapel's coming down here, he would grab it under his own leg and hold it and then use his hamstring to pull against the lapel 
which took the pressure off the choke. And it's really, really yeah. powerful. It's, it's brilliant. I use it. I use it in the training. I, use, I mean, it's a great, it's a great, uh, again, no defence to that choke, but if you need time and that boy's got a really good grip in your lapel, and, and I, when I, when he first told me that a blue belt showed him that, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Well, you, uh, that, 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 that makes me laugh because I remember, I remember um, early on, uh, our coach John, um, uh, he, he choked me in a session. I'm not even exaggerating. I think it was just me and him because we usually train seven o'clock in the morning. Uh, and I think it was maybe just me, me and John. And he choked me, I tapped probably 30 times. He choked. <laughs> and I was leaving far too much room here. Far too much room here. So then I, I realised then, and I don't think, man, I think Rams is about the only person that catches me now in, in, with chokes in this way. As I've realised, I'm just doing this now. As soon as somebody gets a set position, I'm tucking my, I'm just, you know what I mean? It, it, it kind of makes sense because I, I used to box. So it's like tucking, hitting your shoulder. Exactly. It's just tucking this in. And it's only because somebody kept doing it and doing it and you go, fuck this. I have to yeah. figure this out. It's quite, it's quite yeah. interesting. If somebody figures these things out, it's quite interesting. Yeah. Right. So, um, it's, it's interesting uh, what you're saying, well, Mark, about like the processing power, because we had, um, or the processing speed, we had uh, Brandon McGaffron on a podcast a few episodes ago. He's one of the 10 Planet Black Bells. Right. And he was talking about something similar. And he was saying, like, see, he had, the way he spoke about it was like, if he was set up competition between like me, him and Chris, and he was saying, I need to beat you through a door. And he says you would like me and Chris might stand back and wait for the door opening and try and leap forward. Exactly. But as he says, you just just lean on the door, lean on the door, and as soon as the door pops a little bit, your weight slams you through it. And it's just his his speed to move and exploit those little gaps. Whereas we're mm-hmm. standing waiting like four yards away, like I'm going to run it, I'm going to run it. As soon as Mark opens that door, I'm going to drop my head and run it. Whereas and Brandon, it. The, the smart, the process, and as the tiny little movements, that you just wait for it to happen. I can, you know, I'll lean there on the door all day. I'm not getting tired. You jump away, Ali. And then as soon as that door unclicks, boom, you're through the door. That's it. I mean, jujitsu, and, a, and a, if, if somebody, if an alien came down and asked me, what is jujitsu? To me, jujitsu is just a game of making space and taking space away. So if I'm trying mm-hmm. to attack you, whether I'm passing your guard, whether I'm trying to choke you, submit you in any way, um, trying to sweep you, that sort of stuff. My my goal is just to take space away from you, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'm the one being attacked or somebody's trying to pass my guard or I'm in trouble or this, I'm just trying to make space, right? I'm trying to make space and then use the space to get out of trouble. And then the, the opponent who's attacking is just trying to take the space away, hoover up the space. And that's all jiu-jitsu is. And if you can remember, whenever you're in a good position or whenever you're in a bad position, all right, what do I need to be doing here? Make space, take space away. It's very easy to figure that out. Hey, if somebody's inside mm-hmm. control on you, you've got to make space. So in that position, think about where can I make space? Get really good at making space. The guy is going to be able to still smash into that space and kill you, but just focus on making the space. And then once you can make it consistently, start thinking then about how can I use this to escape, right? And you can even apply that to stuff that you already can and and start building it that way. And if you keep it that simple, if you keep jujitsu that simple, I think you can develop a lot faster than somebody who's trying to figure out every single wee movement and what to do here and I need to learn 10 arm bars and 
five guard passes and 20 sweeps, that's very, very hard for a white belt or a blue belt to, to, to take on that sort of a challenge. If you just focus on making space, taking space away, the game gets a lot easier. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things um, do you fi- do you find that um, like with the internet and everybody putting tutorials out and all these kind of things that you know and Danahar's guys and all these do you, do you find that guys coming in as a white belt now want to learn all the fancy things before they learn how to pass guard how to regain uh, retain guard regain guard you, are you finding that now at, at your academy? So I'll I'll say this about like the online teaching and all that right first of all. For years, I've been involved. I don't know if you've heard the World Martial Arts. Uh, they did all Damien's DVDs, Drysdale's DVDs, mm. all, all like Salo, Hibero's DVDs, Marcelo Garcia's first set. I mean, I'm sure you've seen a lot of the, the mm. uh, Ryan Hall's, right? I was involved in a lot of those projects, um, sourcing the projects, special advisor to the projects. I knew the owner, of the, I know the owner of the company and was involved in a lot of the projects. And um, now I actually have in my academy, we have my, my academy is called BJJ Lab. We have BJJ Lab TV where we have, it's internal. You can, you can buy, you can buy a subscription to it if you're outside, but it's really set up for like an internal thing for our members. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I mean, I do, I've been involved on that side of the game. A lot of these DVDs are very, very good. And a lot of this material is very, very good, especially, obviously, the Danaher stuff. Danaher's incredible, right? Gordon Ryan, for, for as good as Gordon Ryan is as a competitor, which he's, he's the best, he's an incredible teacher for his time in jiu-jitsu. He's an incre- his understanding of jiu-jitsu at his time in the game is it's unreal that that guy mm. has that level of understanding of jiu-jitsu. Um, take away whatever you feel personally about Gordon Ryan. Um, his actual jiu-jitsu abilities and credit. So his stuff is great as well. The big part of why the, why the artist, we'll call them, does the DVDs is to make money. The, not that the material is garbage, because again, it's not. The problem is when the student picks up the DVD and starts going through the material, it's a one-sided conversation it's a one-sided interaction it's very difficult for them sometimes to get the level of understanding that's needed and so it just turns into i'm just going to try and copy this dvd and then okay i'll get the guard passing dvd and then what it turns into is i'm there's 10 guard passes on it let's say on disc one well i'm good at the three i'm good at these three so i'm just and i'm crap at i've tried them in the academy i'm crap at the other seven so I'm dismissing the other seven and only focusing on the three that I think I'm good at, right? That tends to happen a lot with online training. And you might have done it yourself where you're saying, all right, I'm really struggling submitting people for the guard. So I go on YouTube and I'm typing in submissions from the guard and you're trying to sift through all these different techniques that are some, whatever example you want to come up with. Maybe that's not a proper way to train, right? I mean, it's good for ideas. It has some value here or there. Again, the other problem with YouTube is you have to know what you're watching as well. Hey, there is a lot of crap on YouTube. Um, but I think that if you're using, um, that's why I like Danaher's stuff. It's more as a, as a, and I've not seen too much yet, but I have seen the structure and it's more like a system than just, hey, here's my guard passing DVDs 
and there's 20 guard passes on it. And none mm. of them, you know, few of them connect. They're not taught as a system. I think the new way that you'll see a lot of guys doing their DVDs is um, not just one topic, right? The X guard or this or that. You're going to see it taught as a system, how it all flows together, much like Danaher's stuff, much like Gordon Ryan's stuff. Yeah, mm. that's, that's in fairness um, is how we train, isn't it, Chris, under John? He kind of I'm, I'm really... I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm really happy you said that, Mark, because the way that we generally train is... So we would generally do some very good fundamentals and everything will tie together. So in every position, most positions, we will have a way to uh, advance and to, to retreat. So we have generally John's a, John's a very good coach. So, and then from there, Ali would tell you is we'll sometimes play about with our own ideas within his kind of structure. And I don't, uh, and uh, Ali, you don't really either. I don't really go to seminars and I don't really watch a lot of online jiu-jitsu because I think it, as a blue belt, it just confuses you. And right. You find these, you find these weird positions that might look cool and they might work great in a seminar setting and everybody goes, wow. How the fuck do I get repeatedly to that position? Nah. I'm just confused now. So I'm glad, your, glad your you best, said that. The best thing they knew as as blue belts, the best thing you could watch online the new is matches. Watch matches. Mm. And watch matches at all levels. Eh? And and I always tell my I always tell the guys in my academy, look, I can watch some of these day. You go on and if it's a black belt match, you, you just want to watch the matches that are four minutes and 37 settings or two minutes and 18 settings or six minutes and 12 seconds. You can wait because they can. There's a submission in that, that match mm. and they want it mm. submission, right? Mm. And then if the match is four minutes and 24 settings, they didn't watch the whole match. They fast forward it to the four minute mark and watch the last 24 seconds so they can see the submission, Right. So I, I tell them, I say, look, watch the 10-minute matches where you can, it's going to end in points. And and watch matches that hate submissions as well, but watch the 10-minute matches. If it's if it's a purple belt match, watch the seven-minute matches. Watch, watch the matches. Don't he, he shy away from that. And just keep watching fights, you hey guys. That's much better than going on YouTube and watching Ken, uh, John and Bill for their mum's basement with a wee banner in the background <laughs> showing technique. I mean... Ken, oh, here's a funny way to get onto this leg lock or something. Ken, I mean, you're much better off watching matches and then training in your academy. And if you need some ideas, see what's out there. But, but if I mean, you have to be training within a system, and it has to. You're, I mean, think about it. People spend a lot of time and a lot of money training jujitsu. You want to get the most out of that. You don't want to be wasting that, that opportunity that you you've got to get on the mat and the money that you have to shell out for your training and all that sort of stuff. So, so do it right. Find, find out what it takes to do it right and work that way. Yeah, it does. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. And as Chris is saying, that's how we've been training at our gym for the last, what, 18 months-ish, Chris? Um, well, that's how I've trained. That's how I've trained from day one. So I've been training now four, four basically almost be four years. So from day one with John, that's how we trained. We've there always we trained this. I've always trained the yeah. same way. I don't. We don't. We don't. Um, you don't want to say. I don't want to say too much. But uh, there's a there's, you know, certain certain gyms and certain people get get involved in trying to fit. It's like having. It's like people get this idea. They want to, they want to do all the cool stuff, and it's like they've got a jigsaw, but a lot of the pieces are missing, and, and it just doesn't make sense. You go, well, what the fuck is this? What can I do with this? Whereas 
we have got a position where so, um, and even like you're saying, so, so the, you know, trying things. So uh, we were mucking about with because John would be mucking about with um, one of Pete Mickelson's his running man. So falling back into position, uh, I don't know if you know, no. you know any Pete Mickelson. So it's like it's just a it's just a way to recover. So it's very very hard to do anything from that position. Very hard to do. So we've been playing that, and then from there you would kind of pop back your shoulder, back into guard, and go again. And it's just a very good way. If you lose position, you think someone's going to pass guard, you fall into this position. We call it, you know, it's running mad. See, it's kind of hard to show you without going on the ground, but um, he's got some YouTube stuff. It's actually really good. So so John had been playing with that. So we had been, and it's a very good way to fall back to position in safety. Back and back, you kind of roll back over. Um, uh, sort of Granby-ish kind of thing. We roll back over into 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 butterfly guard again and start working again from there. There's nothing particularly fascinating, amazing about it. Very simple, right. and very effective. Very good, and you can get back into your normal game for there. Uh, so I'd, I'd be playing about uh, a, a little bit with bad. that, a, lot, a, a little bit with that, and um, aye, I'm uh, I'm glad you said that. It makes me feel better about jujitsu now. <laughs> makes me feel makes uh, me feel better about my jiu jitsu anyway. Uh, do you know what do you know what I like about it as well is seeing because when we get like brand newbies, brand new spanking white belts into the gym, and I know that if they stick with how we train at our gym under John, you know in sixteen weeks they're gonna be able to have some form of a guard, some form of a guard pass, a couple of submissions within that. Right. And enough to then in three or four, like that, 16 weeks' time, they can then almost start live rolling. Because obviously the first few sessions you go along when you don't know, you know, whatever position from anything, you're just like, it's just a flailing mass of limbs and you get caught in everything. Um, but if if they stick with it, and I've seen it, Matt, Chris knows, but Aaron, my oldest lad trains with us, and he's just turned 17. And seeing the last year or so under the system, it started to click. And he can now put pieces of the puzzle, like Chris was saying about Jigsaw, he can put the pieces of the puzzle together where he yeah. knows, okay, I can, I can now work. If I get stuck here, I know what to do to get back to here that lets me then start again. And I think that makes a big difference that over the mm. course of 6, 12, 18 weeks with the format that we run, you're, you're slowly starting to build a very small part, but you're starting to build a basic of a game and then another 16-week block, so by the end of it, you've got, we've maybe thrown leg locks into it now as well, so now you know how a leg lock works and how to defend a leg lock, so you know, getting your legs ripped off, then you learn another guard, so you've learned a closed guard to begin with, because it's a dead easy starter, now we're going to throw half guard into the mix, and how to pass and how to retain from half guard, and over the course of a year, you then build up a couple of basic forms of the guard, a couple of passes, a few submissions, how to take the back, how to defend the back, um, and it definitely, definitely, I've seen a massive improvement in the last 18 months with everyone that trained regularly. Yeah. Well, that's the same. I mean, that as an academy owner, let's say, and even as, you know, three of us have guys that have started jiu-jitsu, it doesn't matter who you are, how big, strong, tall, whatever you are, fit, you're going to struggle for a while in jiu-jitsu. It's almost like swimming. You can't just chuck a bear in the pool and expect the bear to be able to swim. If that was the case... None of us would ever want to swim. I'm not doing that again. I mean, it, it's hard every day as a new white belt to go to an academy, especially say my academy. There are 150 people. We've got pro-level guys in there. If you walk in day one and think that, Ken, oh, just because I sat and spent 10 minutes chatting with this black belt, there's 11 black belts in my academy. You're sitting there and you're going, 
oh, I'm going to be as good as him in two weeks. You're in for a rude awakening. And it's, I mean, jiu-jitsu is very, very difficult. So what we have to do is we have to start people off in a way that's going to get them to get to a level of competency where they can say, look, I can do this, and that they're going to fall in love with jiu-jitsu. We didn't want it to be, hey, look, this is a meat grinder, and if you're tough enough, you're going to end up a blue belt that's no good for your sport. We want people to understand that, look, it doesn't matter who I am. If I put the work in, put the time in, study this game, I'm going to be able to learn it. Now, I might not learn it as fast as that boy, and I might learn it faster than that boy or there, but I can learn this. And just sort of, I think what happens a lot in jiu-jitsu academies is people come in, and if somebody's naturally talented, Maybe they are bigger, stronger, faster, or they're just, they pick things up really quickly. I think that oftentimes they get the attention in the academy and, and other white belts or other people that are new that maybe aren't to that level of physicality or they didn't pick it up as quick, they sort of get left. And if they, if they push through and they come through, great. But if they leave, I think that people just say, ah, well, jiu-jitsu wasn't for him. Jiu-jitsu is for everybody. Right. And it and and me, I think it's a responsibility as an instructor to say, right, Chris, Ali, he's walking in my academy, he's wanting to learn jujitsu. Hey, it's a long journey. Starts the day, let's go. Okay. And and it's up to me to help you get through there, not to tell you, well, you've got to learn it, you're on your own, it's gonna be hard. I hope you can get through it. Ken, that's that's we're never gonna grow the sport that way. No, it's what um What's quite interesting is what you've just said is essentially just a metaphor for life. It's you should never look at somebody else and go, oh, I've been doing jiu-jitsu the same level as Ali. Why am I not doing what he's doing? Everybody's on their own path and everybody learns at different rates. And somebody might learn arm arm bars really quickly, but really bad with try. I'm I, I'm still no, I, I can't quite something in my head doesn't quite I can't quite get triangles. I can't create the I can't create the angle. Arm bars, arm bars I picked up like that. It just made sense in my head. Yeah, so it's like single leg X made sense immediately. But triangles, for example, just don't quite make sense yeah. in my head. I always go I always go for the wrong I always go to switch for the wrong side. It's just right. but it's one of those things where you can't get annoyed, right? You just go, I'll I'll, I'll figure it, I'll keep chipping away at this. Uh, but you know, certain things in the alley's kind of the opposite alley likes triangles. Um so everybody everybody in life is on their own path, but I think maybe people and serving themselves what everybody else is doing instead of going, no, I'm doing this, I trust what my coach is telling me and we'll get there, we'll all get there in the end everybody, you know, everybody's you know, that, that improvement in the sport to grow is essentially what everybody wants to see so yeah, I think people should maybe not care about what somebody else is doing and, and just concentrate on doing the right things, taking the right steps and, and improving overall Aye, that, the problem as well is you get a lot of things new, obviously, with social media and with this and that and the next thing, and people say, like, um, say, like, sponsors, right? So I've got a few sponsors that can pay me to wear their stuff or to use their product or whatever, and it's amazing. It's absolutely silly that people do that, and I'm appreciative of it and all that. But, you know, I worked for that, right? I, I worked for that. It's not something I had when I was a blue belt. It's not something, I mean, it's... it's and people think because they see it online or they see they see some of these jiu-jitsu guys online or they see them on flow or they see matches on YouTube or they can go to the they can go to an IBJJF event and watch professional level guys, they think like, oh well I do what he does, so I should get sponsors as well as a as a mm-hmm. or 
or as a purple belt. And maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. And and it would be great if you did. But I think to expect that and to think like, oh, I've been training jiu-jitsu two years. People need to open doors for me. That's that's kind of not how life works either, right? I mean, we see yeah, what you say. That applies to life. People think new because they can do something and they see it online that, oh, well, it should just be given to me. And it's, mm-hmm. it's new. And jiu-jitsu is definitely new that way. You've got to work at it, definitely. I don't know if it's a, I don't, I don't know if that's a younger generation thing because that means nothing to me. You know, nobody, nobody gets anything for nothing. It's fucking hard work. Um, no. You know, you've got, to, you, you've got, to, you know, put the work in. Ultimately, you, you know, if you're only training twice a week and you're kind of half arsing it, you're not going to get as good as quickly as the guy who's putting in six days a week and no. running and and thinking about things and and uh, thinking of ideas. Yeah, so you can't yeah. possibly expect. But I think it's a, a young. Uh, a younger generation thing where everybody's looking for that magic pill. Exactly. If, I, if, I, if I just buy, if I just buy Gordon Ryan's instructional, I'll right. fucking I could, I'll win gold next time. No, you won't, because you because you're still not doing the work, so it's right. irrelevant. I mean, me and Dylan had a chat about that, talking about the just the hours of exposure. Like we went from one session a week to two sessions to three, and we were saying like, if you do, say you do. 46 classes a year because you're away on holiday for a few weeks and that's you got 46 units of jiu-jitsu whatever whether it's an hour two hour but it's 46 units of jiu-jitsu if you train twice a week you know you suddenly jump up to 92 so you're gonna you're gonna instantly get more exposure to all those situations like you were saying mark you know get put in difficult positions get away from difficult positions like you were saying chris you start to look at things start to think about things then you throw the third unit in and suddenly you're up at whatever that works out. I can't do the math in my head. Eh? Should have picked easier yeah. numbers. But, you know what I mean, 146 <laughs> sessions or whatever it is. Um, and again, it's just it's just exponential growth from there. And Chris, like you're saying, if you're training five, six times a week, mm. you know what I mean? It's pure yeah. runners. Pure yeah. runners. Bye, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, let's say everybody, everybody, every walk of life now wants... Uh, no, you know, especially nowadays, you know, people want to lose weight, but nobody wants to. Nobody wants to get up in the morning and run, be strict with a diet. They all want. Oh, what can I? I mean, can I, I mean, I could just get a gastric band fed. You could do, but it's not the way. Yeah, and, and and if you do the work, if you do the work and you you earn your stripes, you'll appreciate it more. You'll appreciate what you've got more. And it's jiu-jitsu, and, and it doesn't matter if you're talking about jujitsu or tennis or yeah. just getting fit, just getting generally fit. The same. The same thing applies to, across the board to me, anyway. I, hope that yeah, I always tell people, jiu-jitsu is one of the easiest things to get good at. If you just come to the academy, tie your belt, and step on the mat, you're gonna get better at jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. It's just one of the things. You don't have to be big. You don't have to be fast. I mean, put it this way: you, if if you're if you're five foot nine, five foot ten. You can play basketball as much as you want. You'll never probably play in yeah. the NBA. It's just not a thing that's going to happen, eh? Where, and so you can practice as much as you want. You're never going to reach that goal if that's your goal. But jiu-jitsu doesn't have that. You, if you just show up and you train, you're going to get better. And you, I mean, look at me. I've, I mean, it's stu- silly what I've done in, in jiu-jitsu. It's stupid, right? And especially somebody like me, for where I'm from and all that sort of thing, but you put the work in, put the time in, you're patient, you, you put the effort in, it can definitely happen, eh? I mean, 
people have obviously done a lot more than me, but it's that same recipe. It's just keep going, keep going, keep going, and then you get there. So we had um, one of our first guests that we had on was, uh, do you know Ian Mackey, Mark? In our yeah. family, sprinter. He went to Atlanta 96 and Sydney 2000 Olympics. Oh, very um, good. Fedon Fellman. Fedon Fellman. Really nice guy. One of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. I've known him for a while. We train at Petrivi together sometimes. Uh, and we were talking about this, and it's like trying to take, because uh, Ian was from, uh, uh, fuck's sake, what's the Abbey bit in Dunfermline? Yeah. Ali. Abbey View, sorry. But no for a nice area, Dunfermline. And he went to Olympics, being on his training camps. He knows guys all over the world have been to these cool places and, and we're saying to him if you could take young kids you know, 14, 15 year olds and say listen if you do the work and you live your life properly you really can right. you know be a Damien Meyer black belt or you can go to the Olympics or you can become a professional if you, but you have to do the work you can't cheat the work but you have to you have to get everything in position quite early and go I'm going to have to work we'll have to work hard we'll have to do the work you can't cheat that work and you really can. Anybody can do anything if you really, well, within reason. So that was, I'm going to contradict myself now because, you know, remember when that guy broke the two-hour marathon? Kipchoge. Aye. And it was Facebook was full of things and people going, oh, you can put anything you put your, you can do anything you put your mind to. And you're going, no, <laughs> I'll never run a sub. I'll never run a sub tour. I'm just not built to run a sub tour. That's never going to happen. But, you know, if you if you put the work in, you really can, people can really go and do amazing things. And it's trying to get, especially the young kids, if you fucking really do this, you actually yeah. can become... Um, they can definitely maximise their, maximize their potential, potential, ultimately. Like you said, you're never going to run a two-hour sub-marathon. I'm never going to play offensive tackle in the NFL because I'm like 188, 190 pounds. It's never going to happen. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, can play, I can do what I... You can still push on and, and maximise potential in other areas if you just... Yeah. If you're willing to work, it. Eh? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think part of the work is... Uh, part of the work is identifying uh, the goal, right? I mean, like you said, you could have the, the goal to play o- offensive line in the NFL... And and you could do everything. I mean, you could even eat as much as you can to try and get bigger. You could do other stuff, but you've not got the genetics for that. You're 188 pound. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. So so you could put all the work in. At the end of the day, be disappointed and say, look, I thought if I just put the work in and I, I put maximized all the work I could ever do, maximized my potential, and it just didn't happen for me. I would come back and say, well, the very first part of the, the very first bit of the work was identifying the proper goal. You can identify an incorrect goal for yourself and work as hard as you want at that incorrect goal and not get the result you want. Uh, and I think people didn't people didn't realise that okay, part of that work, part of that goal, part of the whole pie is identifying what it is you're actually trying to do. Aye. Mm. Uh, uh, definitely. That uh, makes sense. That makes sense. So aye. Uh, aye, uh, it's... Um... Quite frustrating when you, when you, especially when you're with young guys in the gym and stuff, and the, you just you see potential in some boys, and you just think, oh fuck, would you just? Right. You need to get a door. You, you need to get. I mean, you, you, you know yourself. Some of the young boys now have pals, and you, you, right for the get go, those pals are not good. They're no good people for you at all. You need to get rid of them. Get, get, surround yourself. I mean, if you're surrounded by, if you're surrounded by Damien Maya and fucking whoever you want to name, really good guys, you cannot fail. To be inspired to be better, 
to be a better person. Like you said, Damien's obviously a nice guy. So if he's a nice guy, it inspires you to be a nicer guy, to have a bit more time for people maybe, uh, and they're train hard. So, but if you surround yourself with fucking numpties, you're going to be a numpty. So it's kind of, exactly. you, have to, you, know, you have to figure these things out quite early. Um, sound like a, sound like a life coach here, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm also going to say, I'm also going to say, if you're taking any advice from me, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> just to balance, just to balance things out. <laughs> well, that's the thing, Roy. I always say, and and I always say, there's there's two things that just are life. Number one is jujitsu. Jujitsu is just like a just it's just life, right? Cased within this thing called jujitsu, and then the other thing is the Simpsons. Everything in Simpsons and the Simpsons relates to life, eh? <laughs> oh man, that's funny. That's uh, true. What um, what uh, what what time on? I've done have a watch on. I've I've no idea what time. Uh, it feels uh, like we've been talking forever. It feels like it feels like we've been talking forever. An hour, hour and twelve on the recording timer. Ah right, okay. It was just it was just it was just floating away from me, and I'm just wondering, like, because I I don't know what it's dark and I don't know what time it is, but I'm fine. If you want to keep talking. Fine. I just, you know, you know, it's it's been one of these conversations where it's just kind of moving through everything as as it always does. That now feels like, I, what have we been talking for half an hour or three hours? I'm not, I'm not sure. It's always a good sign when you're just having having fun having a conversation. Um, right. But so what? Um, what? What's what? I mean, have you? Uh, do you know if you're going to get to compete this year in America or is it? Well, I, so I compete in the IBJJF and they've cancelled everything through uh, the end of 2020. So um, we're actually get, getting back to... I've been training this entire time. Eh? I go in and I train with boys just to keep myself sharp and all that. And what, But the academy's no open. Um, it's no open to members. It's no open to the public. But I do hate some people that I've been going in and training with. Um, but we are going to open next Monday. We're opening on the 8th for the adults, and then the kids' program is going to run, start running on the 15th. So uh, we're going to be doing some of the jumping through the hoops and all this sort of stuff. But um, mm. I mean, when the door, see, when, when the door shuts, we're going to be training jujitsu. So whatever fluff we need to put on video and on social media to show that we're doing this or maybe doing that will be. Um, but when the door shuts, it's my world and we're going to be training jiu-jitsu the way we always train jiu-jitsu. So, um, and we've got some different stuff legally that we're doing here to sort of protect ourselves and to uh, make sure that this sort of thing doesn't happen again. Um, here, just there's different stuff with the Constitution here that we fall under with self-defence and the Second Amendment and all that sort of thing. So we're just making sure that we're fully encased in that so that if anybody ever comes and says, oh, you just need to shut down or you just need to do this or you can't do that, that we're mm. protected that way. So we'll be doing all that. My, um, I mean, I've, the good thing about my academy is it's, it's a big operation. Uh, I mean, I've got a, a good staff. Uh, we've got a, a world champion female, uh, Jessica Swanson, who's moving from uh, DC to Chicago. She, she's moving in on Sunday so she's joining her academy and she's going to teach and compete your academy she came and we tried it out we we're looking for a female instructor to run the women's program and that and uh, 
uh, tried out a couple of people and basically offered her the position. So she's moving across the country to to train with us, and she's absolutely fantastic. Um, and the goal is to get her to win uh, win the the black belt world championship. Uh, she won at brown belt, and she's fairly new as a black belt. So uh, she's young, hungry, and that's the goal is to get her to to win the black belt world title now. Um, so we've got that starting. Uh, and it's a big operation. My business partner's brilliant. He he focuses on all the stuff. I mean, we've got a lot going on, sponsorships and this happening, that happening. He handles all that stuff. All I have to focus on is training training the team. So um, that's that's brilliant because I didn't like all that other stuff, eh? the marketing and the managing all the different vendors that we've got and all this. I didn't like all that. I like training. So he, he does all that. And I do all the training, and it's it's a good sort of one-two punch. And he's he's a really good purple belt as well, really good purple belt. Um, uh, so we'll get the competition team back up and gone. I don't know about what's going to happen when it comes to competitions. I don't see myself competing unless an offer comes in for somewhere to go and do some matches. Um, but I don't know yet. So. My goal now for the rest of the year is focusing on the team, uh, focusing on Jessica when she arrives, and then the rest of the competition team, and then just mm-hmm. the academy sort of back up and going again after this sort of shutdown. Eh? It'd be um, it'd be quite it'd be quite cool if you can get a obviously nobody this year, but if you know if you're home maybe next year is to get a to get on like an SGI or something, get a, see if you can get a match in Scotland would be quite cool. I I saw it well when I was last home, me and Damien were sort of helping Stevie. It was right before he went doing and did that uh, Polaris. Aye, oh, yeah. and he was, was fantastic and that. He was really good. Aye, and so, I mean, and I ken some other people that have competed in Polaris as well. And I, I fancy that just because it's obviously, it's in the UK and all that sort of stuff. And I, I mean, I'd, I'd like, I love coming back and teaching in the UK. I mean, we've, I've got, uh, I was supposed to be coming back in July and I was going to be going back to Jamie's. I love Jamie's Academy. His, uh, his Academy is really, really good. Good good group of guys there. Um, and then I was going to go down and teach a seminar at Paul Craig's as well. Mm. Uh, but because I was coming back in July for a wedding, but that's obviously, we're not coming back in July. So I, I, I can imagine I'll be trying to get back by the end of the year but I just don't know. Um, it, it depends on Damien as well with this whole thing, what's going to happen with Damien, uh, when his next fight's going to be. But it's just crazy. Normally my entire year is sort of planned out. And then this thing I was kind of hoping that... Um, so I went to Naga last year in Amsterdam. I was kind of hoping that that might still be a thing, but I, I don't think that's going to be. I don't think that's going to be happening. And maybe ADCC in Manchester and uh, started December, but I don't. I can't see. I can't see anybody. I don't know if. I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't know if people are going to want to be desperate to grapple and just go and do it, or people are going to be a bit maybe standoffish for a while, saying. Oh. I don't know. Well, I, I think you'll be all right. I think guys would be all right rolling within their own academy or their own gyms. Tough. I think yeah, that competition might be, be tough. Especially travelling in inverted commas overseas to like mainland Europe or something to train. I think that might put a lot of people off. But um, Well, I mean, I'll tell you this. I travel, I mean, I, I do the circuit for the IBJJF and 
I mean, I'm yeah. in usually six, seven countries a year competing. And I mean, some of the places, and it's not a knock to the countries, but like, for instance, I go to Mexico City often, and it's just, I mean, when you're in Mexico, I mean, every time I've come back from Mexico City, I've been sick with some meh, mm-hmm. uh, some sort of cold, or you're just cat kind of, it's just other, some other places as well. I mean, I go to Spain, I go, oh, yeah, Brazil. Oh, out of the place, and you're thinking, like, goodness sake, that was always a worry before. Know that I'm scared of COVID 19 or anything, but it's just how is it going to be? Are, are people going to want to do that? Like, I think in an IBJ, IBJJF championship where there's thousands of people there and people can for white belt, mm. black belt competing, is that going to be a thing? Ken, is that going to be a thing right away, or are you going to go to the championship and maybe you're going to be there, sort of thing? It makes you wonder if they might change it. Um, I mean, will they will they go down like a, a white and blue belt one weekend, maybe maybe purple and browns the next weekend, and then maybe have a, a like a, a, an elite level black belt and things like that. I don't know. Will, will they be able to have you know a thousand people in the room together? It seems unlikely anytime soon. I know. I don't maybe, know. Maybe, I maybe don't they, know. Maybe they'll change it. I don't know. This- I mean, it's just silly. We've got the new, and if if, if one used to do this, I'm sorry, but I have to say it. Like, you've got people here that are driving about in their car by their cell with a mask on, and no, no, they're not. Uh, I mean, <laughs> like, what are, we, what are we doing here? And and you say, Ken, like my wife will say, oh, just let them be, and I say, no, I say, no, you don't want to let the people be. You want to call them numpties, and you want them to ken that they're numpties because that's part of the problem that they think that that's actually doing something, Ken, or. Stupid stuff here where, like, you could... Uh, so here was the one. The governor here in Illinois said that, right, two people on a boat, right? So if me... I've not got a boat, but let's say I had a boat. Me, my wife, and my two kids get in the car and we drive down to the dock to get on the lake and take the boat out, right? Mm. Yeah. Only two of us could be... We, were, we live in the same house together. We drove in the same car together. But only two of us can go out on the boat because if three of us or four of us, heaven forbid, went out on the boat, that's dangerous as far as spreading COVID-19. And you just think, like, and then somebody actually asked them that in the press conference. Wait a minute. Are you saying that if families go down to the dock and they're in the same car, they kind of go on the boat together and the boy's going, aye, aye, that's that's the way it's going to be. And you're thinking, <laughs> and if this is where we're at and this is what's considered Ken, the, the plan, then something's not right here, eh? Uh, there's been a, it's been a bit the same over here, eh? There's, there was one that, I don't know again how close you're following it over here, but a couple of weeks back, England came out of lockdown to their next level a couple of weeks before Scotland did. And I think it was, I can't mind which one of the politicians it was, one of the Tory government was on doing their press conference and they basically said when England opened up, you could go and sit in a park you could only meet one other person from another household in a park. So let's say, like, me and my wife went to a park. We could go to the park together. Let's say we wanted to meet, like, like my parents, for example. I could meet my dad, but I couldn't meet my mum. Yeah, it's Sandra could meet my mum, but not meet my dad. But if we sat in a square with two metres between everyone, and I just pretended I didn't know that person to my left, that's my mum, and Sandra pretended she didn't know the person to the right, we could all technically sit, but we couldn't actually come together and say we all know each other if we were asked, because that's breaking the rules. And what's the... Okay, so if you talk to your mum... Uh, if you talk to just your dad, 
you're not at risk of COVID-19 and you're, you're not at risk of spreading it. But if you talk to your dad and your mum, that's dangerous. Mm. Well, my mum um, works in a school uh, for, for uh, kind of badly behaved kids. And they're kind of residential. They'll, they'll stay in the school. Um, so my mum, she'd be in a classroom. She's still working. She's worked right way through. So she'll be in a classroom with 10 kids, 12 kids. And that's fine. But she can't see grandkids. She can't go and see my sister and, and, and niece, niece and nephew. Think, well, why? Well, how, how does that make sense? It's crazy. But, I mean... It's, I mean, it's ultimately nobody really. So I, I, I kind of I understand it to an extent. They're trying to make you know one thing fits everything, and it never does. I mean, you've got somebody try to you know if you think about the size of America or even just you know the state of Illinois, things are going to be. They've, they've probably put something out on paper and went that makes sense, and then you actually put it into the real world and you go that's fucking idiotic. Yeah, but there's there's so many there's so many moving parts. I, I, I kind of make that kind of stuff is as stupid as it is. I kind of understand because they're just what. What's quite interesting. What makes me it's kind of funny about this is so you, you kind of everybody kind of holds the, the you know the government of the government and they're supposed to be these fantastic people. This has just made you realise that they're just fucking people and they don't really know any better than what we know. They try to guide this. They try to guide this ship without a rudder. It's just fucking chaos. Well, I mean, Martin, in, in our area here, if you catch it. So if you if if you have COVID nineteen, you're and this is cumulative over all the all the age ranges, your percentage of dying if you catch it is 0.02%. percent. Point zero two percent if you've got it. So why are we stopping the world for something that will kill 0.02% percent of the people that catch it? And you could say, I mean. Obviously, oh, well, you accept, Ken, are you accepting that some folk are going to die? Well, I, I mean, we do that all the time. We allow people to drive cars and we can that every year some people are going to die in car crashes. Ken, I mean, we, 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 hey, we take these risks and we, we sort of use actuarial data to, to plan how much risk we're willing to accept. Ken, I mean, we do it with everything. So, so to say that this, I mean, I understood in the beginning because everybody was thinking this was something like a horror film, eh? Like we just yeah, yeah. we didn't can, but knew knew that we can sort of what this is and what it isn't. I think we need to be a bit realistic because it went for we need to shut everything down to make sure that the hospitals can keep up if they have to. To know it's we need to shut down until there's a vaccine, or some folk are saying shut down until it's like totally eradicated. I mean, goodness sake, we've got vaccines. We've got vaccines for the flu. We've not totally eradicated the flu here. Can what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. No, hundred percent agree. I think I, I was saying this to my pal earlier on. I'm saying I, I think we're going to look back and whether it's a year or it's five years or it's ten years, I think we're going to look back and go, why the fuck did we shut? Why do, like you're saying, why like I think the survival rate in the UK is 99.7% survival rate. Ah. Uh, and and in my age bracket, uh, up until maybe three weeks ago, there was 25 deaths of my age group. So I think that was from 20 to 40. 25 deaths of people who didn't have underlying health issues. And you and, and I saw, I'd done a bit of I did a bit of googling and just started googling stupid things. 26 people a year die of things falling off roofs. Right. Well, 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 should we all wear hard tats everywhere we go now? So we didn't, you know, in the beginning you understand it, but now you look, you're looking at it going, why are we 
like you know, people are uh, a lot of people on you know jujitsu forums that I'm on and stuff. You know, so we kind of go to jujitsu to train, but you're allowed to stand in a queue at a supermarket. Exactly. Or what, here, the, here, here, the here the thing that's funny is, let's say um, you you two own the hardware store, right? Like a, a B and Q type thing, right? We also stuff going on right but a weird a weird one like a local one right that needs to shut but the big chain the big uh the big b and q or or like home depot here or whatever that can stay open so you can stand in a line there with 200 folk and you can be in the shop with 500 folk in it but you kind of be in your local wee shop that sells the exact same stuff for the exact same reason there would probably only be since you're a local shop there probably only be two three people in the shop at one time Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. Makes no sense. Nah, Makes no sense. You know the, the, one, the one stat that, that threw me the best for COVID nineteen, and I don't know whether this says more about Scotland than anything, but the average age of people dying from COVID nineteen, if you balance it all out, is higher than the average life expectancy yeah. in Scotland. Uh, now that's yeah. more about Scotland. Let's be honest. But it's people that are over eighties are dying. And it's like, well, people yeah. over 80s, unfortunately, die of, do you know what I mean? Old, Urine infections old people, die. people yeah. in their 80s. You know what I mean? It took down my granddad. That's what eventually was listed on his death certificate. You know, yeah. he'd had a really severe urine infection and it got into his bloodstream and that was what ultimately killed him. He was yeah. 87 years old and next Royal Marine Commando had served in the Second World War. He was just old. Yeah, and just, it old, is yeah. what it is, eh? Yeah. And here's the thing. If you look at, Ken, obviously, Bairns, I've got two Bairns, I've got a really young Bairn. We're not wanting something going about that's killing Bairns here or there, right? But this thing doesn't kill Bairns. And think of the flu. The flu does kill Bairns. And we send our Bairns to school when it's flu season. Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and you're thinking, like, how many times does your Bairn come home with a call and you're like, oh, they got it for the school or they got it for the daycare or that. And and we, we didn't say, oh, we've got to, every year when it's flu season, we've to shut the bairns in and look doing all the schools and all this mm. because flu's gone about and it's going to kill X amount of bairns a year within a day that but this thing this thing doesn't kill bairns and we've shut down all the schools it doesn't uh, even... no it doesn't make any sense it's crazy um I don't know where I've, I, 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 I've, I, I've not been watching the news for the last six weeks two months I just came up with it because you, you're watching this and you're just looking at the real numbers and going I don't even know. I don't understand why. So, like, we, we talked about this earlier on uh, in the podcast. So, I live in Carden, so the woods the woods are a quarter of a mile away from me. And at the time, we were allowed out once a day to exercise. And I, I, never, I, never, I never listened to that at all. I'm going, I go out there and run in the woods. I'll right. see two people walking the dog. And I'm not, yeah. getting within, I'm not getting within five feet of them. Why... Like, why am I? Can that makes sense in London or in LA or something like that? Where it's dense, but here, why? You know, I mean, why can I no go? It's, just, it's the whole thing's fucking mental to me. Um, yeah. the sooner we can get away from it, the better. But I, I didn't have, I didn't have a lot to say on it because it just pisses me off now. This is just silly, and it's, it's actually doing more harm than good. Eh? I mean, they're looking at the suicide rates, there was. Uh, I think I've seen something like that in America. Something like the su- like the amount of people who who had committed suicide in LA was staggering, like staggering uh, amounts of people. Some there was a study done in California. I think it was San Diego, LA, and San Francisco, and they said that within a month, 
in all three cities, they had more suicides in a month than they than they sort of predicted for the whole year. Mm. Uh, mad. It's going to be, like you were saying, Chris, you know, it's going to be the, even the medium to long term, you know, there's going to be a lot of businesses not coming out the back end of this. Oh, no mm-hmm. fault of the road. So I missed what you said there, Mark. I said a lot of jiu-jitsu academies are having mm-hmm. to close. Aye. Yeah. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, but let's hope we can get out of it. And like I say, I think, I think in a few years' time, we're going to look back on this and go, why the fuck did we shut the country down for three months, four months? Why? For what? Well, my <laughs> thing is... What about when the flu season comes in November? Do we need to shut down again? If you're saying that we had to... I remember they shut down the US here when there was 3,400 cases, right? 3,400 cases, and we shut the we shut the US down. So, because mm. you're thinking, oh, this is going to get massive. All right, so the next thing that comes around, COVID, uh, rat-eating virus 2021, or whatever you want to call it, right? If that comes around, do we shut down again? Again, because we shut down for this thing at thirty four hundred cases. Mm. Is that a new plan? Do we just shut down every time there's a new sickness, or every time flu comes around, or or can yeah. what the precedence here? Well, what what happens is, and and what's certainly going to happen in in Britain is, um, what you're going to find now is people are now going to use this to the advantage because people are going to say, people are already saying, I'm not going back to work until there's yeah. a vaccine. All right, right, cool. And then, and then, if all of a sudden the government, love them or hate them, um, say, well, we're not giving you any more money because we can't afford to give you any more money, then they're bastards. You go, no, we've, we've opened this door now. Like you're saying, if it's a bad flu season, oh, I, I'm, I'm not sending my kids to school. Aye. Well, but uh, you know, where does it stop now? So we've set this precedent now that we're willing to shut a country down. That's dangerous. Where does it stop? So people just didn't want to go back to work now. So people are now, you know, there's people you get people like us that are saying, fuck it, I'm fed up now. I just want to go and get cracking on. I'm not bothered. Have, you, be, there is been, uh, have you been doing any training or anything during any of this or what? Not, not jiu-jitsu-wise, I haven't, no. No, I actually, I, I actually got ill right at the start of March with what was classed as seasonal flu. I've never been tested for it, but I just felt crap for a couple of days. So I kind of took a couple of weeks off, just being smart as you do whenever yeah. you're not feeling great. Eh? And then the shutdown happened. So I've actually not rolled since the beginning of March. Eh? Right. Yeah. Into I, was, I, was, um, I was lucky enough to, to be able to put, well, within the last month, I put a decent gym together. I had a wee summer house that I didn't use and I extended that. Yeah, so squat rack in, I've got a squat rack in there, some heavy kettlebells, dumbbells. I've got a bag, so I hit the bag, and I've got bits and bobs. I've I've been able to train fairly fairly reasonably, uh, but I've no I I've no rolled since uh, starting March, end of February, I think maybe. Um, it's it's driving me crazy, driving me crazy. So, um, well, hopefully, one- hopefully. Hopefully we'll get some like one-to-one stuff done soon. Like I was saying, because Aaron trains my laddie, I ended up by mats pretty early on, and we just maybe even just once a week throw them down in the grass at the back and just work a few basic, can just to keep moving, eh? Like mm. so we don't forget which way a Kimura goes or which way the triangle goes, and you end up spinning the wrong way or whatever. Eh? But I can do like you do. <laughs> so what is the plan for uh, for 
the academies and that opening, have you heard anything yet as far as that goes? Scotland, what I Scotland, heard, Jim's won't open until August. It'll be, um, sorry, October is what I've heard is yeah. the earliest for gyms. That's not, that's not jiu-jitsu gyms, that's, um, that's just gyms in general. And they're going to have to make sure that everything's treadmills are six feet apart and all this kind of nonsense. For jiu-jitsu, uh, I think it's kind of like a, because it's quite like a niche thing. I don't know if there's been any mention of that as such yet, but I've I seen something from Boxing Scotland on their Facebook that there was going to be something implemented that they could do something for boxing. So if you could do something for boxing, then you, you could surely grapple. I mean, it no. might be a case It might be a case that you have to, before you go into the academy, maybe clean your feet with, with sanitizer, clean your hands with sanitizer, uh, and the mats will have to be you know, disinfected every single day. Nice. Um, that might be the case, but I mean, it's not a bad thing, really. But um, nope. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know is the honest answer. See, we had a a, a thing here because we, we sort of were saying, all right, well, we'll there's no classification for jujitsu or that. Eh? So it basically was like gyms. So we were saying, all right, when when these things came out, we said, let's see where we are. Are we gyms? Are we this? Are we that? And so we got a couple of lawyers involved, big lawyers that are. Ken, uh, if I told you some of the companies that this guy represents, you'd ken the companies, big worldwide, massive companies and that, and he's actually one of the students at the academy. Um, he's one of the purple belts, and he's an incredible, incredible attorney. And uh, so what we ended up doing was we started looting, and because you're thinking, well, are we a fitness centre, a gym, Ken, this? We sort of looked at it as we were able to look at it as that we teach self-defense because jiu-jitsu is a sport, but it's also self-defense because there's a lot of stuff in this, in the writing that says uh, uh, contact sports and physical contact and sports not allowed and all this sort of stuff. But we said, okay, well, we're self we teach self-defense and we've got a lot of police, uh, firemen, first responders, military and all that that we teach and that that's protected under the Constitution here under the Second Amendment, which is the same amendment that allows me to carry my gun everywhere, every day. Every day, I am one of the mental people that carries a gun. <laughs> For some reason, I must be the most well-behaved gun in, in the country because it never does anything unless I do something to it, can it? Just a lazy bastard <laughs> a gun. It just sits there and does nothing unless I do something with it, right? But... Um, uh, so under that same amendment, we hey, no, we're, we're not a gym. We're no uh, a contact sport. We are we teach self defence, and that's essential to the community and and to law enforcement and first responders and all this sort of thing, uh, to women and all this sort of thing. So we are opening up under that and basically telling them to get stuffed. And the mayor mm. of your city is on board with that. Uh, we've got some local representatives in the state congress that are behind us on that. Uh, so, Ken, if it comes down to it, we're going to sue. We're going to sue the governor. We're going to sue the state. Um, but we're sort of giving them the chance to see if they want to come after us or no. And if they do, mm. it's just like, it's too much. Yeah, we'll be ready for them. But if no, then we're going to continue doing what we're doing. So, that's good, man. It seems, it seems, it seems, it just the whole thing seems fucking nuts. Absolutely nuts. Um, let's say, I mean, 
they think about the, the list. Of th- I mean, how many people a year die smoking? And it's like, they just no, nothing gets done about it. How many folk die a year of drinking? Nothing gets done about it. You know, I mean, in, in America, in America it's, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people die a year if they're smoking and drinking. And it's, oh, well, cool. Driving. Driving. Driving, no, no just, just driving. Uh, it's crazy. So, uh, well, hopefully, hopefully that works out for you and hopefully we can get back to training fairly like I say I, I'll I might message John fairly soon and say look I can see if we can do just me and you roll in the morning or something and, and try and figure something out but um, maybe just keep it keep it on the down low and then so try and get someone where done where is it so we're in uh, Cowden Beef um, <clears throat> it was Goliath uh, uh, MMA that's where we train um, so John like I say I started with John from day one um, and then he got on board at Goliath about 18 months ago like what Ali was saying uh, yeah. and it's the jiu-jitsu classes from there have, have really taken off so like Saturday Saturday morning Thursday night's packed I mean really really getting busy um, so it's been nice to see the you know from we from we when like so me and John and uh, a couple of other guys came in it was getting really quite quiet, and then it's kind of just went taken off of there. It's been nice to see. Um, lo- long may it continue. It's, 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 I've said this to a couple of people now as well. It's like the, the summit. I mean, the new facility that we've got at Goliath is amazing. It's a beautiful, beautiful gym. Harris has done an amazing job with the place. Really, really good. It's a big place. There's a nice lifting area. There's a sauna going to be in there now. There's, there's, there's a couple of little different lifting rooms. Really, really cool. So. Um, you know, Stevie's place is amazing <laughs> down at Braveheart. It's a beautiful gym. Um, so I mean, just in Fife, there's some really uh, you said already. Jamie's got a nice gym, really nice space that he's got there to train. Um, mm-hmm. so there's some really good gyms in Fife. It's, it's really cool to see, really cool yeah. to see. Yeah, yes, it's good. Day. I'm looking forward to it. And as you were saying, Chris, the massive progression, you know, when we all came along, obviously, we all started as white belts, but. We've now got, mm. what, seven or eight blue belts at the gym, which is, you know, mm. it's, it's building up for, for essentially the last 18 months. We've got to the point where we now have some blue, some guys pushing towards blue. We've probably have been heading on towards blue, obviously, before all this happened. I'll maybe slide it back a couple of months. But, nah, and we've would, got a, purple, a couple of purples as well. So it's moving I on. Hope, it's definitely good. I was hoping I could be a purple by the end of 2021, but that's not going to happen now. <laughs> that's that's fucked. <laughs> you might have to start training uh, six days a week, twice a day. Uh, well, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see what happens. There'll, there'll be certainly a big appetite to to get um to get there more often once to get train again. And we'll, that's it. For me, that was my biggest thing when I was a blue belt and a purple belt was. Uh, I remember it was six days a week, twice a day, and. Mm. And it was just non-stop. I remember my last training of the day would finish at, uh, I'd start at seven and it would finish about 11 o'clock at night because I did like the group class and then I did drilling and then I did sparring after that, like extra, extra rolling after the regular group class rolling. And I remember I'd leave the academy at like 11 o'clock at night and I'd get home at half 11. And at, at that time, I just met my wife and she was my girlfriend, obviously. And uh, she's thinking like, Ken, this isn't normal. What are you doing till eleven o'clock at night? Sort of thing. Training, Ken. And so yeah. the good thing is she never kent the difference. So new I train sort of uh, my my evening training goes for about six to half eight. So it's a wee bit more manageable uh, mm. for, for at least. Uh, um, but I mean that was the biggest progression I had was 
when I was a blue belt and a purple belt just because I was constantly training, eh? Mm. So one of the things that's um I, I do quite a lot of other things as well, Mark. So I've do I've I've done some some marathons and triathlons and um I was supposed to do an Iron Man this year. So one of the things that was cool last year was uh, and Ramsey was one of the people that said like when I went to when I entered Naga, I just basically did jujitsu for twelve weeks. And he said like the difference in my my game just went through yeah. through the roof because all I was doing was jujitsu. So one of the cool things is because everything that I was meant to be doing this year has been cancelled, I'll basically just train jujitsu for the rest of the year into next year. So hopefully I should get six months to basically just doing jujitsu. So hopefully I can make up for some time and work yeah. on some things and and kind of improve again. But um, we'll have to be able to get in the gym first. <laughs> Yeah, that's first thing you do the way, yeah. Get back in the match. Oh, can't, can't, can't wait to choke Ali again. Promises, promises, promises. I'm starting to get tired. This must be a midnight. It's coming to midnight. Aye, where you are. Aye. We've also done an hour and three quarters on the podcast, so it's been a good day. Uh, it's been a good chat. Like, I've enjoyed this. No, I think. Thanks for having me on, eh? No, it was I good. Had some, uh, I, I, had, I had some energy drink earlier on. I had some energy drink earlier on, and I've kind of went, and now I've started to crash. Did I get this? I've started to crash and get tired. But that was, uh, was a really good, really good fun chat, uh, Mark. Thank you very much for doing Thank you for Ramsey as well for, for, for setting up. Um, that was, it was really good fun. It was um, probably the best Jetsu chat I think we've actually had, to be fair. Definitely. Enjoyed um, it. We normally do this at the end. If anyone's looking for you on the social media or want to get more info, where can they find you, Mark? Uh, on my Instagram is Mark Turner BJJ, and the website is bjjlabnaperville.com. Um, if you get me on the Instagram, send me a message. Um, I, I respond to everybody. I'll, I'll get to you uh, any questions or anything like that. My academy is also, um, once this thing clears, my academy is always open. If anybody from Scotland ever wants to come here and train, we can set up a place for you to stay, um, and you can stay as long as you want. So anybody from Scotland that wants to come here and, and train with us is more than welcome. Uh, that's the least I can do for people in Scotland that are involved in this thing that I love and that's done so much for me in my life. So uh, that door's open, and don't you think twice if you're wanting to jump through it. I have to take you up in that ourselves. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I've got a deal with the missus. I get to, I'm a massive Chicago Bears fan. I've been a fan of the Bears since 85. Like, ridiculous level Bears fan. Oh, for, is, that American, is that American football? Uh, it's American football. Just be quiet, Chris. But I've the got a deal with the missus. I get, to across, I get to come across on my 50th to go to Soldier Field. So, uh, I've got all that planned in. So, if I'm still rolling, I'll definitely give you a... It's a lot of good few years away yet. Maybe we'll be open after COVID by that point. But, hey, if, you come there, if you come there before that, we'll make it there. And if, if it's summertime or that, we can get down to the training camp and everything as well. Yeah, definitely. Maybe, it might be an option because I'm not no getting a holiday this year. So it might be an option to um, just jump on some flights and go train jujitsu some places. Um, yeah. Another thing about Mark is if, if you're coming back over and you're, and you're uh, Damien, you need a a Highland tour guide and I've I've done a bit of walking in a lot of Munros and I know some spots. So if he's a, if he's a needing a tour guide, just give us a shout and we'll, we'll help you out. Or help I'll, you I'll, I'll, I'll come see you. 
I'll come see you. We'll get some training in and that, and have a Definitely. couple here or there. We'll, get, we'll, we'll maybe get that tight in the, the chip. <laughs> Good to me. Perfect. Joe Nelson, recording the guys. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Definitely.